0: Welcome to Silicon Valley Trends, a free podcast series published by Silicon Valley Business School. I'm your host, David Smith. At Silicon Valley Business School, we provide affordable, real-world online business education to everyone everywhere, and guide entrepreneurs towards success with their startup ventures. This podcast is about startup valuation. Specifically, my argument as to why startup valuation is not startup valuation. Let's say a venture capital investor buys 25% of your startup for $10 million. Immediately after the investment, what is the value of your startup? If your answer is $40 million, then I disagree with you. You see, as we discussed in the previous podcast called Preferred Pizza Toppings, Investors get a different type of stock. Venture capital investors buy preferred stock. Founders and employees get common stock. Using the pizza analogy, common stock is like a pizza with no toppings at all, a bare crust without cheese or anything, where preferred stock has all sorts of fancy toppings. The fancy topping preferences given to preferred stockholding investors provide the investors with control over all the significant decisions made by the company an investor with 25 percent or only 1 percent has the power to hire and fire the founders, appoint members of the board of directors and decide when and at what price to sell the company they also get a disproportionate share of the proceeds when the company is sold if the purchase of a 25 percent interest in the company resulted in the investor receiving 25% of the proceeds when the company was sold? Yes, you could argue that the investment can be used to calculate the company's valuation and set the valuation, in this case the $10 million investment, at $40 million. But the investor buying 25% can take all the proceeds when the company is sold and will always take significantly more Than 25%. If you haven't done so already, I suggest you listen to the Preferred Pizza Toppings podcast to understand how the two tier preferred stock common stock structure distorts the way companies make decisions and how the proceeds of a company's sale are distributed among the holders of common stock and preferred stock. As investors take a controlling interest in the company through preferred stock, even though they might only by a very small minority stake and the investors get a disproportionate share of the proceeds when the company is sold. I don't believe a 10 million dollar investment for a 25% stake values the company at 40 million dollars or anything close to that. A controlling stake has some real value. How do you factor that into your valuation? The preferred stock preferences, those fancy pizza toppings are valuable because they provide investors with superpowers when it comes to hiring, firing, appointing directors and officers, and making important decisions. Actively brokering patent sales and other transactions in Silicon Valley, I've authored a book on valuation called Dollar Value, the valuation of patents, startup software, and other intellectual property assets. And I created the valuation course on Silicon Valley Business School, I'm called in to provide expert valuation appraisals on patents, software, startups, and all sorts of intellectual property assets. I'm in the profession of providing appraisals and valuations. And I think there's a lot of misunderstanding and misinformation out there that's confusing budding entrepreneurs. I just listened to another podcast on startup valuation, and it was totally inaccurate. It missed the important distinction between common stock and preferred stock. These Silicon Valley Trends podcasts are designed to help entrepreneurs and innovators by explaining how business really works in Silicon Valley and the tech sector. In my Dollar Value book, which is available on the Tynax website for free by the way, T-Y-N-A-X, I explain how startups are valued and I apply the three most common valuation techniques to patents, trademarks, domain names, software and other assets. Let me summarize the three primary valuation techniques. The first technique involves making comparisons with similar assets that have recently sold on the market. If your house is identical to the one next door, and that one sold yesterday for $500,000, then you can argue that your house is also worth $500,000 through this comparables technique. The second technique involves estimating the cash that the asset will generate in future and then figuring out what that cash might be worth today. If you licensed your patent to a company under an arrangement where you received a million dollars a year, every year for 10 years, actually, uh, being in the patent business, uh, that would be a very unusually high, uh, very unusual transaction. But just for the sake of the discussion, let's say you received a million dollars a year, every year for 10 years we could figure out that what that license is worth all based on the revenue potential the value would not be 10 million dollars even though you'll receive 10 million dollars over 10 years because money in the hand today is worth more than the promise of money in future so if you took that uh, 10 million dollars over 10 years um, income stream to an investor they probably end up paying somewhere between 3 and $7 million based on how certain they are that the $10 million is going to come through. Anyway, um, that's the uh, second technique that looks at the future cash flows. And the third technique estimates the value by looking at the build cost. If it recently cost you $100,000 to build a barn on your farmland, you could argue that the barn has a value of $100,000. This is like replacement cost. Uh, And it might be the type of um, valuation that's used by an insurance company. Um, So there are other techniques that get a little more abstract, such as looking at cost savings. But these three techniques are the most realistic and reliable. And they don't really have much meaning when applied to Early stage startup ventures. Because there are few, if any, early stage startup ventures being sold, and revenue potential is so speculative as to make calculations meaningless. And it's not really feasible to calculate the cost of building a startup that consists of unique individuals and unique ideas. One of the factors in determining value is the price that a ready, able, and willing buyer would be prepared to pay to buy the asset. If you had a buyer prepared to acquire your startup for $40 million, then you'd be able to argue that it's worth $40 million. The problem is, I've never come across ready, able, and willing buyers looking to acquire early-stage startups. Until the company has a product, customers, and a revenue stream, there's really not very much for anyone to buy. Most startups are heavily dependent on their founders and key team members. If you take these individuals out of the company, there's little left. So rarely, if ever, do you see early stage startups being acquired. The exception is in the tech sector, where the startup has hot technology, a hot team, and has started to generate momentum in the marketplace. As we will discuss in future podcasts, Momentum is a magical force that distorts valuations and can create a feeding frenzy of buyers. But most companies don't generate real momentum until they have millions of customers. So this is not the situation at the early stage we're looking at here in this podcast. When you have customers, revenue, and momentum, you can value the company based on financial results and potential. Before that, we resort to various forms of black magic. Actually, that's not true. There's no black magic involved in structuring venture capital investment deals. Venture capital investments all follow a remarkably similar structure. Investors have the money and they get what they want. What they want is preferred stock with all the fancy preferences. They want want to stand first in line and take a disproportionate share of the proceeds when the company is sold. They want to see a pool of stock allocated to an equity incentive plan for new hires. They want anti-dilution rights and all those other things we talked about in the previous podcast on the pizza toppings. Large lead investors want to have at least 20% of the company. They want the company formed as a Delaware C corporation with about 10 million shares and they want everything structured in the familiar Silicon Valley cookie cutter style. The founders need the investors. The investors need the founders at least until the company has reached a point where employees can be brought in to run the business. And I would characterize a venture capital investment as a joint venture or a partnership arrangement, or a profit-sharing agreement, or all three. It's a transaction that enables the investors and the founders to collaborate and share the proceeds in the event that the company is acquired or its shares are floated on the stock market following an IPO. A $10 million investment in your company would justify a $40 million valuation if the investor was buying 25% of common stock hence had 25% of the proceeds when the company was sold and held about 25% of the control. But because the investor is buying control and receives much more than 25% of the proceeds when the company is sold, I argue that preferred stock investments cannot be used to estimate valuation. Preferred stock is much more valuable than common stock. And this fact is often overlooked when venture capital investors are negotiating investment deals with founders. When you're negotiating a financing with a venture capital investor, you're negotiating the terms of a joint venture partnership that encourages all the parties to collaborate to help the company succeed and determines how the proceeds will be shared out when the company or its shares are sold. Unless the investor's buying common stock or there's a ready, able, and willing buyer standing by, ready to buy the company, a $10 million investment or 25% 25 stake does not value the company at $40 million or anything close to that figure. If you're negotiating with an investor, you might want to bear this in mind, especially if they're using the valuation theory as a means of increasing their stake. You'll find more information on this topic in our valuation course and the raising finance for startups course particularly the preferred stock and investment terms section you'll find other information including dozens of courses thousands of videos and reading materials on our silicon valley business school website at svbs.com you're welcome to join me in my silicon valley business school chat room where I can answer your questions and help you navigate your startup towards success. I hope you'll join us for future podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe so you get new episodes as and when they're released. And please rate us in your podcast player. This will help us get the word out to entrepreneurs and the other people we're trying to help with this podcast series. That's it for today. Hope you tune in to the next Silicon Valley Trends, the podcast for innovators and entrepreneurs.